Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 106 of the F1 Show. We're back. We are back. I am Jim Lau. And I am Robin Warner, and we're here to talk about what's coming up for 2012, what's happened in 2011, and just one final little last hurrah before we get uh, kicked off again with stepped nose era racing yes there's plenty to talk about we'll get to that uh we've been making a bunch of tweaks and adjustments in the off season here to make the 2012 f1 show season uh the best ever mostly to our aging backs but also to the uh podcast itself you could say yes so uh as over the course of the season you will see many improvements or hear many improvements and uh, awesome things and uh, it's, you know, it, it's exciting. But uh, in, so, of course, we haven't had any racing yet. We've had some testing to talk about, but we've had all the car launches. And I guess... Well, not even, all of them. Even since... Well, that's true. Um, and even since we uh, last spoke to you, um, the proper driver lineup is now completely filled out, including uh, lack of Rubens Barrichello, which is probably the biggest story that, uh, that we left off with. Lack of Rubens Barrichello, but also more recently, lack of Yarno Trulli. Yes. Despite a contract. Despite Yarno Trulli always saying, oh, it's crazy that I wouldn't drive for a Caterham in 2012. Well, it's, it's crazy. crazy. It's, oh, no, I'm not. <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy. I guess that's what it is. It's the power of the ruble. Is that what Russians have? The yes. Ruble? Yeah, it, several of them. You add them all up, and it turns into a Formula One seat. Not that Vitaly isn't a talented driver. We're not saying that. But I think certainly, I don't think just on driver talent alone, you would necessarily pick Vitaly over Trulli. Yeah, although Trulli... Um, I mean, he's he's been around forever and has had, you know, many chances to do amazing things uh, and only very occasionally done amazing things. So there comes a point where somebody like Petrov hasn't been around as long, has done some amazing things. Um, he's earned some Not fr- as amazing. Not at, no, you know, winning Monaco in the Renault obviously was be, would be a high point for uh, Jarno Trulli, but then... Yeah, some qualifying times. But then the Toyota, that was his like only that. win over, you know, all the different seasons he Long was involved career, in. Yeah. Um, so, and, you know, I guess it's the investment in the future, and it's sort of, okay, if, if he can get the maximum out of the Caterham, then, then that would be great uh, with Trulli, but... Um, I guess they felt, you know, they wanted the investment, they wanted the money, the, the Russian connection, and so on. So, yeah, Vitaly Petrov is now the second race driver at the Caterham team, teammates with with uh, Heki Kovalainen, yes. who said he's excited about the new challenge and, and so on, which I guess is what you say when you get a new teammate at a race team. Um, but uh, also, the uh, up at the uh, Williams, one, one step up on the uh, leaderboard there, uh, we now have a Senna in a Williams-Renault for 2012. It should be, it should be very, very interesting. Um I was a little bit surprised by that move when it came. I, I didn't know that Senna was necessarily the strongest driver. Um, I might have been a little bit more interested in trying to pluck Kovalainen or um, maybe even Adrian Sutil. But um, certainly they see something in Senna um, that they want to take a risk with him. Senna's definitely had some good performances. And certainly the history behind the names being tied together the way they are. Uh, there's certainly a cachet to that. Maybe there was some monetary value in that. The power of the real is that what they have in Brazil? I, <laughs> I don't know Brazil's currency as well. So, uh, yeah. So, I I'm certainly hopeful that Senna does really well. But I was a, I, I would not have been my first choice in the Williams. Yeah, um, but we'll see. I mean, he sort of uh, at, at first, um, you know, he, he came in mid-season um, and then and had some pretty good results, and we're like, you know. You know, from from last year it was sort of you well, know, sort I of think disappointing. It was spa qualifying was and then, very strong. Yeah, and then coming in later, uh, then fact, you know, I can tell you exactly looked quite strong. Um, and so it's sort of this back and forth. We're not really sure if it, if it's once he had a good car and Ethan was able to make some some good out of it. But the other question is, will the 2012 Williams be a good car? Will that be worth anything? You know, I mean, you know, it was uh, certainly if anyone could get some results out of a car, you'd think Rubens Barrichello would be able to. But he just was you know had some pretty pretty bad languishing you know performances and. Uh, certainly trouble getting the car to work. So, uh, and I mean, and Barrichello definitely didn't have any money, right? I mean, uh, the, Williams is definitely a team that needs money these days. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so Senna, when he came and he qualified seventh at Spa, kind of like to start his uh, his F1 comeback when he jumped in for the Lotus Renault at the time, mm-hmm. and you know that was a great great start. But since it never really turned into anything amazing, so. Uh, but it would be interesting to see. I, I do hope that he does well. Um, also, curious to see where the um, the STR boys ended up, the ones that were dropped, Buemi and Al So Buemi is a test driver. 
Yeah, he seems to kind of landed on his feet a little bit. At Red Bull Racing and STR. Which Interesting. apparently you can do is be a test driver at two teams. But, uh, yeah, so he's become a test driver um, and uh, also will be uh, at Le Mans this year. will be doing the Le Mans, the World Endurance Championship um, at the uh, uh, driving, I think, at the uh, Toyota, right? Yes, that's what I remember, yes. It's a Toyota hybrid, uh, so that's Which cool. also, we should take a, one quick step back. Yarno Truly is also tied to the Toyota team for the World Endurance Racing. Ooh. Has not finalized anything. Uh, there was this article about it, and he, there was also an article saying that uh, at one point, uh, Jean Todd offered Truly a race drive at Ferrari, and he wanted to talk about that. But uh, whatever, that's definitely in the past. <laughs> yeah, and that's it's, it's funny, because it's like once he's out of his you know, Caterham team and sort of out of his F1 contract and his F1 career is, is at least for now anyway, over, um, you know, sort of, but, but I was amazing back in the day. Like right. Ferrari totally asked me out and I said, no, because I was with you. But right. Now, exactly. You guys. It's like, right. it's funny. This uh, kind of the attitude change. Right. Like um, if you asked Angelina Jolie out when she was 15 and you guys went to high school together, it's not the same as dating her now, for right. example. That, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, I yes. mean, that's, that's, um, I'm not suggesting that you did such a thing. I'm just saying that that is a possible corollary. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, Al Gaswari, on the other end, I haven't heard anything about. No. Uh, there was talk about him ending up at HRT uh, being a Spanish team with uh, Spaniard Pedro de la Rosa and uh, and even their test driver, Danny, uh, Danny Close. Close? Um, as, a, as a test driver. But why would you ever pick Algaswari when you could pick a proven race talent like Narain Karthikeyan to put in the <laughs> seat of the car? He just keeps like, he's like, I have money. He shows up everywhere, man. <laughs> and he's like 48 by now, too, I think. So. Uh, he's, I think he's going to be 35 this year, yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, man, if he's, uh, if he's putting it together. So the HRT, though, um, they, their car just now passed all the crash tests. So it wow. hasn't been out testing yet. Um, they, Nor will it be, they I suppose, anytime moved, soon. Well, they're hoping to make it in time for the final test, uh, which is certainly a doable feat for most teams, whether or not HRT will be able to get everything worked out. That, that team's been interesting, just kind of following them in the offseason, um, where they've, they've moved their headquarters. So they're like, oh, we're going to be all based in Spain. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be a proper Spanish team. And on the face of it, that sounds great. But when you think about... Um, F1 talent being right. as specialized as it is. Exactly. Where's all the engineering be talent? In England, you know, where all, you know, with, with McLaren and Force India and with, uh, you know, Red Bull Racing and all these guys, you know, are like, you know, within 10 miles of each other, kind of around Silverstone in the uh-huh. area, Milton Keynes and so on. Um, or in Germany, you've got a bunch of the teams. Uh, and then, you know, I guess, you know, in uh, Marinello for Ferrari, uh, you know, there are people, and then I guess what do you get? Sauber in Switzerland out of nowhere. Um, True. But, um, it's certainly not impossible. But it's it, not impossible, but, but for, it seems for a small team. But when you can't, you know, offer huge salaries. I mean, if you're Ferrari and you've got all the money and the Ferrari name and the whole history and the whole deal, and you say, "Hey, move from wherever, come to Italy here, um, and and it'll be great and have a job," and you know, you know, when they're trying to recruit an aerodynamicist or some, you know, some super, you know, specialized uh, guy, then you know, there's there's something more to it than like. Hey, we can't really pay you a whole lot, but um, Spanish food's really nice. Yeah, uh, weather's right. good here. You know, it's going to be a lot harder time getting the kind of caliber of people you need to put together a workable team and really make everything happen. So um, it's it's sort of it will be cool if it if it comes you know works out well and they can say hey we we're doing this a little bit differently. It was sort of the deal with USF one. Uh, if you know to bring back a brilliant example, exactly. If any, exactly. there's ever a role model in Formula One, it's that. <laughs> it's saying hey we can do this differently. And that's great if it can work, but so far that hasn't really been something that works. Um, but anyway, they are finally on track with uh, the, the crash test and so on, so at least they can hopefully bring out the F112, which is their 2012 car. Ah, um, but lovely name. We haven't, you know, seen it. There's been, like, renderings of it, but uh, we haven't, it hasn't, hasn't been out in the world yet. Well, the other one, too, is Ma Russia. I don't think they've released anything. Yeah. Um, I, I was just looking up to try to see what their results were. I think if they were running with old cars or not at all, um, it's, it's, but it hasn't been... It hasn't been great. Um, but, uh, you know, who has been doing well in, in testing and whatnot, um, it's, and it's, it's preseason testing. I mean, we talk about even Friday practice test times not meaning a whole lot. Yeah. So to extend that out, preseason test times don't mean a whole lot. Uh, but um, we've seen uh, Pastor Maldonado and the Williams actually putting in lots of laps. And, and uh, you know, he was uh, at the top of the timesheets on one of the days on uh, from, from uh, Friday, I guess. Uh, yes, I will. I feel pressed to remind you that Rubens Barrichello was 
the fastest in one of the tests preseason 2011 fair in enough. the Williams last year, uh, just to be fair. And uh, actually, it was Kamui Kobayashi that was the fastest at the end of the Barcelona test. Of the whole test, yeah. It yeah. was Kobayashi and the Sauber. So that's a, an excellent grain of salt to, uh, to put with that. Um, no, I think we should make some strong determinations here. Um, I've already uh, posted on the Facebook page that Sebastian Vettel will be 2012 world champion because he was fastest in Barcelona on day two. Mm. Unfortunately, I have to retract. That was an egregious error. Clearly, Kamui Kobayashi is going to be the 2012 world champion, uh, seeing how he was the fastest in Barcelona. I don't even know if there's a point in watching the races. Yeah, really. That, that, I mean, that we can true. still have the podcast and talk about what most likely happened since Kobayashi probably won. It's like, well, Kobayashi's won again. <laughs> Who came 13th? Was it Vettel, probably? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, just looking at the timesheets from uh, the 23rd, the testing on the 23rd, it was... Uh, By the way, I'm sorry I'm interrupting you, but are you happen to be on autosport.com? No, I'm not. There's this, like, ghetto fabulous picture of Rosberg with his hoodie on. And a and his baseball cap and a hoodie totally looks thugged out. It's really funny to me. I'll have to check that. Autosport.com. Rosberg fired up by Mercedes progress. It says Here he is fired up in his fired up hoodie. He's, he's he's gonna go knife someone. <laughs> he's. Uh, but so the the times um, are one thing, but actually the you know the number of laps completed almost tells more of the story uh, with how reliable these cars are. How many how many laps they're able to get in in a day and. Uh, uh, you know, some you know the, most of the teams are getting in over 100 laps. Uh, you know, the Williams, the Mercedes, uh, McLaren, uh, even you know Marussia on uh, uh, on the 23rd. Timo Glock did actually put in 108 laps in the Marussia, mm. uh, 70 laps for Vitaly Petrov in the Caterham. I think. But that had to be the it had to be the old car, didn't it? Yeah. I mean, um, I looked for a launch. I never saw it. And then, uh, but uh, then we've got you know Charles Peak in the other Marussia. Total time zero laps zero. Wow. That's. <laughs> But uh, yeah, Kobayashi at the at the top there with both the fastest time also put in 144 laps, mm. uh, which is a pretty solid. Uh, and the know. other thing you have to be careful of, you know, with these times is some of them were on the super soft rubber, some of them were on the soft rubber, some of them were on the medium rubber. So um, that's obviously highly dependent on what's going to create the fastest lap. Because I rem- remember watching that and. Uh, it's like, oh, this person did this fast lap, but then this person put on the soft rubber and did this lap. And yeah. It was like so two it, tenths it better. It doesn't so really matter, but it things, really doesn't. Yeah, things are, are coming together. Um, you know, for the first test, we had the old Mercedes and then we launched a new Mercedes. Um, but let's let's talk a bit about the cars of 2012. Oh, dear. Um, if we can, let's just talk about the McLaren and sort of forget about the other ones. <laughs> so anyone who's been keeping up on this, which is probably most of you, um, have seen a few of what the new cars look like. Yes. Um, and I think the McLaren was the McLaren the first to be launched. Or I think one of them. It was certainly it was in the top cup, top few. No, no, that's uh, no. Caterham. Uh, Caterham was, first was the first, out. January twenty sixth, yeah. and McLaren was February first. So they come out with. Um, so Caterham comes out with this. You know, we we knew the regulations were going to change about the the way the front suspension kind of goes together, and the the there's some of these you know, kind of duck bill calls cars you call them, or some you know some of them had uh, these sort of. Uh, you know, humps where the top, uh, you know, top of the suspension, the A-arms and stuff hook up. Um, but then, you know, Caterham came out and it said, okay, this this is how they interpreted the rules and they did their testing and so on. And they've got this, you know, flat nose that comes up and then just right at where the front suspension connects in, it just bloop, bumps up and yep. you've got this big sort of step on the front right. of the car. And then it yep. goes to the cockpit and all the rest of it. And it's sort of like, Okay, that's how Caterham did it, you know. It's ugly. Whatever. That's, whatever. that's a screwball-looking car. But, oh, then the McLaren came out. You're like, oh, okay, cool. McLaren's got a nice smooth... Okay, so these nice, cars aren't all going to be beautiful. all ugly and weird-looking. And the reason is, of course, is one of the new rules is that the the front nose can only be up to a maximum height because they want to avoid um, the front of cars being able to climb over the sides or the back of other cars. Hmm. So that's the purpose of the rule is to... It's a, it's a crash safety thing. Partially... Partially come about uh, from Weber's accident last year where he had that nice kick flip in the air after bumping into the back of Kovalainen and things like yeah. that. They're trying to avoid. And I think it was ultimately what caused the actual was analysis of a nose hitting the cockpit on the side of a car. Mm. So anyway, that was a, that was a change. Um, McLaren traditionally runs a lower nose anyway, so no big deal for them. Uh, some of the other teams were running higher noses. For aerodynamic purposes, Caterham was one of them, and that was their solution. Right. Then we started to see more and more cars released, including the other top challengers. Ferrari. And they've got <laughs> the step nose. They've got the, and the, you know, they have a teaser image where it's kind of like, you can't, you know, the Mercedes, they have this teaser, and like, okay, cool, that looks kind of, oh, there it is, in the, oh, yeah, they turn the yeah. lights on, and it's, oh, man, it's, so, 
uh, and even Ferrari, when they announced it, uh, they said, you know, it's it's really the functionality. It's the results of a racing car that determine its beauty. <laughs> exactly. They had this statement where they're like, yes, we know it's really, really ugly. Right. But uh, that that doesn't matter so much, right? And it's like, right. dude, you guys are, you know, it's Ferrari. The, you know, sexy cars and the whole you right. know, Italian know, design and the whole thing. It's, but at the end of the day, I mean, they have to go with their engineering philosophy, and that that's what it is. I mean, what's what's interesting about it to me is that so many teams have followed this. So now it does with you can't help it it does sharpen the focus on the mclaren that didn't you know right and then the other slight exception is the red bull which doesn't just have a step in the oh, nose yeah, like the rest got... of them but it's a little vent in there yeah which i thought was interesting and and you and that was on one of the later released cars and sort of once that comes out you wonder if the other engineers looked at that and were like wait wait a minute we could <laughs> we could put a vent in hmm, how would we you know sort of like we didn't think of that right right um it's Hard to know based on what the air pressure would be and stuff there if that's going to be. I mean, it's not like enough to cool a Kurs battery. It's not like a, a, enough of a vent, but it's you know may do. It clearly does something. I mean, Adrian knew it's it, not going to do it. I'm sure, it adds a cool. thousand pounds of downforce somewhere. I mean, yeah. it, I'm sure it does something super trick. It's, it so, helps keep Vettel's you know Red Bull Red Bull's cool as yeah. he goes down the track. I don't know. So it, it's sort of an interesting interpretation of like, okay, the nose has to be this height, the cockpit has to be this height. And hey, we can put a vent in there, and you know they can make something something snappy happen out of it. So that's you know interesting if that happens. Uh, so also some of these cars are maybe different by the time they actually come out to uh, to Australia to to the first qualifying and so on. Um, but probably the noses are pretty well going to be going to be set in there. So we'll see who uh, you know changes things up. But uh, this reminds me of was it was it just 2010? When we got the, the tall, skinny rear wings, or was that 2009? I think that was 2009. Well, 2010 wasn't that long ago. I'm pretty sure it was 2009. Yeah. And, you know, looking back, anytime there's like a demonstration run or something, and like right. one of the old, you know, 07 McLaren, and it's got all these little bits and bobs coming off of it, and right. this, you know, real long, low, wide rear wing, and, you know, and then we had the double plane front wings, all this cool stuff. And you look at one of those, you're like, oh, they're good looking cars. Yeah, yeah. And then you see, you know, but we've all gotten used to yeah, we've the gotten narrow, used to the neat wings, you know, yeah. the wings, the new proportions. With there's the... still, there's angles I look at it and it just still looks wonky to me. Yeah. You know, but... like from above, from the front where it sort of accentuates the yeah. front wideness and the rear narrowness and all that. Right. Um, still does look a bit wonky. But anyway, we'll see if, if we can get used to the noses and then, you know, who knows, there'll be a next, the next like, uh, you know, Mercedes supercar will have this step nose on it on a oh, road car. And yeah. they say, oh, look, it's F1 inspired. Well, it's certainly, but unlike, yeah, okay. Unlike, the, if there's a step nose production car, I, I swear. The step nose really is, I think that'll probably change because everyone knows it's ugly and it's a safety, it was a safety reason. So that was, okay, this is how we can maximize our our aerodynamics within the rules. So that wasn't, that step nose is, wasn't a change to lower aerodynamics. It wasn't a change to try to level the playing field, you know, for competition, that kind of thing. It was, it was there as a specific safety thing. So I don't think there's gonna be a lot of hesitation to change the rules a little bit more to try to get the cars to look a little bit more appropriate again. Yeah. So in a similar vein, um, you know, there's a the, the Grand Am series here in the U.S. Uh, where they've got the Daytona prototypes are ugly, the uh, ugly car. They've they've been just kind of they're not like blatantly ugly, but they're just like their proportions have always been weird, and oh, it's yeah. just like been this kind of just weird the way that the cockpit. It's like it's you know it could be a cool looking. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're sports prototype cars. They're all uh, closed cockpit. So it could look like something, something awesome, like an R18 or the, you know, the Peugeot 908. Like it could look like some really swoopy, cool car, but they're just like kind of shorter and the cockpit angles are weird. And they have this weird flat front, but just for this year, um, they changed a few of them. So the proportions are a little bit different, but now they're allowed to, um, style the cars more. So they have like the, the, the Chevrolet Daytona prototype now is styled like a Corvette. So Mm. underneath it has nothing to do with a Corvette. But the bodywork on top of it sort of has some of the lines sort of grafted into it. And they said that they, that car got such a much better response out of people in terms of, you know, being – and they can track these things these days with, you know, how many people share it on Facebook and talk about it and how many people go to, the, you know, watch the videos and those kind of things where it's basically the same car underneath as it's always right. been. Right. I'm going to look it up right now. Um, but um, But just it connects with people, especially, you know, Corvette fans and so on because it's just – it sort of means something to them as a car, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just, oh, it's this, 
screwball race car, but it's like, oh no, cool, it's like a version of the Corvette, and it kind of just ties it in with the rest of the brand. So as much as what matters with a race car is, you know, how how often it wins. Oh wow, that, yeah, that's a huge difference. Yeah, so there you go. And but the counterpoint to that, I've just pulled up a, a photo of the 2012. Oh, God, the Ferrari for 2012, and it's the I, Ferrari. It yeah. should look amazing. And the numbers, the the, the number six, uh, so it must be Moss's car that they have. Put where the step is just accentuates it. It looks awful. I mean, you remember a couple, just even the last year and the year before, the, the nose of the Ferrari was really clean. When you'd see it from above, you almost wouldn't see any stickers on it. It was just like red with the white wing. But now, this just with the way everything, sort of, I guess, doesn't flow on the car, the way all the sort of the, the decals and the various things are, it's just, it's just an awkward looking beast. Yeah, totally. And, you know, you've got this flat slab, like, from the driver, like, from the front of the cockpit out to the, the top of the step. It's just, like, this yeah. perfectly flat slab. And you're like, how can the most technologically advanced vehicles in the world, race cars anyway, like, how can that be the best way for that oh, to be designed? Well, and, I mean, this could totally second as a coffee table, the front nose part. It's so it's, flat and awkward looking. And, like, the backs are, are tightened up a little bit and the way the exhausts are now and stuff. Like, okay, there's there's some coolness going on back there. Right. You've got this the floor tray and... And all that, but just the man, this nose is—it's—it's it's going to take some getting used to, for sure. At but least for the, at least for us. That is, um, that is something that uh, we can talk about, though. That isn't ugly. The the exhaust—that's the other major change, right? The mm-hmm. where the exhausts are, the exhaust blown diffusers, using exhaust gases to maximize the aerodynamics of the car. This year around, the FIA really worked hard to try to mitigate that as a driver aided aerodynamic device. In a way, I don't really understand why, other than I guess maybe it's an expensive thing to pursue. Uh, I kind of like the idea of them finding ways around it. Um, And even now, they are still trying to find ways to maximize exhaust gases. But, you know, the effects are going to be a lot less because of the forced exhaust position placement. Yeah, it's a little hard to say, though, because, of course, in 2011, uh, you know, or no, uh, in what, 2009, uh, with the bronze, was it? With the double diffusers? Yeah. Um, that was, you know, we didn't really know about that in the off-season. And all of a sudden, we're like, oh, wait, this this is this has really changed things. Uh, and then, and then of course, we had the blown dif- you know, blown diffusers. Uh, and then there was sort of, you know, the Red Bull's flexi front wings a little bit. And then they have, you know, Red Bull's rake angle, which even, I guess, that effect has been minimized a little bit as well now. Uh-huh. Um, so there's, you know, there still may be something this year that somebody comes up with that no one else has that really that really kind of changes things. I mean, Red Bull, uh, certainly their front wings, you know, some of their turning vanes and different things that happen um, as the car is going around corners and some of the way the curves and stuff are, yep. are kind of interesting. Um, also, at the very tail edge of the Red Bull, the RB8, there's these little vanes that actually hang down from the back of the rear wing. And even that is to try to get some effect of the exhaust blowing through there to help, uh, you know, help keep the rear of the car planted. So... As, as much as, you know, the FIA looks at this and says, okay, you know, they can't make a rule that just sort of says, you know, you can't get any benefit from the exhaust because how do you enforce what the benefit is? You know, it's really, it has to be real technical. It has to say, okay, you know, this, this the exhaust has to be placed here. The flow has to be, uh, right. you know, directed in this way or, or, you know, but there's, there's, that's the whole point of this engineering and everyone else, everyone looking at this and the cars being different is that, Hey, we found some way to be clever that no one else has thought of, and uh, and you know we can help make our car work better in some way or on, in some certain condition um, that you know everyone's got their own approach, and uh, and we'll see how it goes. But um, yeah, so I, I wonder what it'll be, uh, you know, and, and certainly like you say the McLaren with uh, the shape of the nose, uh, you wonder if everyone looks at that and uh, if it's if it's wicked slow, which I kind of doubt, but then you know people will kind of wonder about that. But uh, you know, it's 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 interesting with um, oh, just looking I. I feel like I just want to Photoshop all the other cars to put the McLaren nose on them because I'm looking at that car now. I'm like, that is just a good-looking car. That is just so much better looking than the rest. It's uh, I don't know. It's 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 tough to say. So, you know, um, like I said, it shouldn't really matter what they look like, but it does. And I think for the marketing, the sport, and the glamour of it, and all that, it's just, um, you know, think about that. Boy, the rear of the cars gets so narrow now. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty impressive. But I mean, that's just it, right? You you have to. God, it looks so much better. Yeah. We're looking at the McLaren right now, uh, Lewis Hamilton behind the wheel. And, uh, you know, the other interesting thing about the McLaren is so it's got the um, functionally low nose. And look how much thicker the bodywork is as well in the yeah. front. All the others have that really narrow front, and they try to have tons of air under there. And McLaren just doesn't do that at all. It's pretty fundamentally different than the rest of the car, so it'll be interesting to see. But the other thing that's interesting about the McLaren is it's very clear, and we're kind of looking at a three-quarter front shot of the car, 
it's very clear that that exhaust comes out in kind of an awkward different angle than some of the other cars certainly compared to the to the lotus yeah for and example it's, and it's cool to see some innovation back in the in the front wings i mean there's there's a lot of little surfaces on those front wings yeah for sure that uh, that have sort of crept back in from when they sort of simplified it a couple of years ago and they've sort of been creeping on uh, ways oh can't we do two two complete planes but how can we you know tweak little things here and there uh, and just seeing that come together, it's uh, it's pretty cool. And so McLaren, uh, you know, they had that the, kind of the U-shaped side pod last year uh, where it was real uh, real shallow and lower down and near the cockpit and on the outside edge they had more airflow. They've abandoned that, gone yep. to a more traditional side pod style. And uh, I think the, the, the difficult was the shape that they had, that was kind of the L on either side to make the U, mm-hmm. um, allowed, they tried to get more air to get to the back of the car, to the rear wing. I think that was the idea. Yeah. But that shape fundamentally is less efficient at getting air into the radiators so the holes themselves had to be bigger even though the shape of the holes was different yeah so i think i think what they realized was that at the end of the day it didn't add to a net positive gain on the car yeah and Um, i know this because i'm a super smart f1 engineer there you go (laughs) um we talked about this a little bit last time but uh kimi raikkonen's back dude that's that's still fun you know it's just Whatever it is about Kimi, uh, and you know, it's not even that long ago that he was uh, that he was racing, but uh, it's just sort of cool to have him back in the car. You know, back oh, on the absolutely. grid. Oh, I mean, absolutely! It's good to have him back on the grid. It, you know, we're losing a couple of people, so it's nice for him to be coming back. And you know, we are now going to be at six world champions in the current F1 field. That's that's a lot. There's a lot of world champions in there, and I think uh, that'll be a lot of fun. I'm. The error is to see how long we can keep Kimi's attention. Yeah, you know what I mean, because the second that Lotus isn't winning races, and he's like qualifying tenth or twelfth or fifteenth or whatever, you know, how's that going to go? You know what I mean? Yeah. Because you have you have the Red Bull team, which they're going to be strong, right? They kind of have to be, right? Um, there's McLaren and Ferrari, where McLaren's kind of out on their own in terms of design in a way, but. At the same time, it's hard to believe that the McLaren's going to be at the back of the pack all of a sudden. Right. Ferrari is Ferrari. Of course, they're pushing to be world champions, although they are struggling. But then on top of that, you also have Mercedes that's really pushing hard to um, be a front-running car again. They've, got a, they've paid a lot of money for a lot of really intelligent engineers to be a part of that team. So you put Lotus in that as well. Does that mean there's going to be five top teams? Or does that mean that one of the... Last year's top players, Red Bull, Ferrari, McLaren, are going to fall out, or is the Lotus and the Mercedes still going to kind of be a front slash mid pack team? Best of the rest. There, and yeah. if and if that's the case, you know, how how is Kimi going to do in that situation? Yeah, it's a good question, and that's um, you know, if there's any theme today today's show, it's like let's hurry up and get on with the season. <laughs> you know, like I want to I want to see some results. I want to see some some qualifying and some racing and right right. You know, see these things shake out. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 kind of cool just seeing you know just the technical development because now we can sort of focus on that um, as we don't have any results to look at yet. And uh, but ultimately, the technical development really you know maybe maybe Force India will have taken a huge leap forward. Right. You know maybe maybe these new guys in the STRs you know they were always sort of knocking on the door, getting into Q3 and knocking on the door of some podiums or whatever. Right. Maybe these guys will bring it to the next level. It's yeah, and well, it let's be not cool. forget like the 2010 Williams had some really strong performances in the latter half of the 2010 season. Yeah. You know, they were really strong top 10 contenders at Monza, I remember particularly in some other places. They were they were quite strong. So, Williams 2011 car was miserable, but you know, they could make a big jump. Fundamentally, Williams has an expertise. They also have a new management team. Patrick Head is out and uh you know, not involved with the F1 team directly at all anymore. And so it'll be interesting to see how that team functions because it's probably, God, with Patrick Head alone, the average age of the engineering department probably cut by a third. <laughs> so, I mean, it would be interesting to see if, it's, if, if there's a little bit more creativity, a little bit more flexibility in, you know, Williams' ways of looking at uh, problems and having creative solutions around them and building a fast car, innovations, those type of things. Um, you know, Sam Michael, I still kind of feel like he got a bum rap a bit. It sounds like he had a lot of responsibility on his shoulder, maybe more than he should have. Um, so it seems like his role at McLaren is a lot less significant. be interested to see how that plays out. But 
I'm, I'm very keen to see Williams doing well. And then also Caterham, you know, they were 10th in the championship two years in a row, which means they get some of the Formula One team money. The top 10 teams get that money. Yep. So that was like an extra, I think, 40 million they got as a team. I mean, that that's significant. Yeah, to, that'll, to that'll go organization. a long way. Yeah, yeah, so they have a lot more money to play with. Is that going to be enough to really push them into being a solid mid-pack team? If so, then someone else in the mid-pack is going to have to be pushed back, right? So, uh, and you've got, uh, oh, God, I can't think of his name right now. A little short guy. Mike Gascoigne. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, he's it's just a wee lad. <laughs> he's a, you know, he's a, he's a little bulldog, you know. He's very tenacious. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how he does. I remember really getting to know Gascoigne when he was at Toyota. And, uh, you know, I can see where if at Caterham he has a little bit more flexibility that he could he could potentially do some pretty interesting things. Yeah, I'm just looking at the the Williams car now, and this is one of the more egregious step noses. Yeah. If you look at the way that that fits on though, the step is all in the nose cone. Yes. Which of course is something that's pretty easy to to change out, and you know it's not a fundamental part of the chassis that has to be recrash tested and all that. It's you know it's, that's gonna I guess it probably does have to be tested, but. Um, you know, it seems like they would be able to update that mid-season, but it's kind of a the way that the rear of the car flows is kind of awkward too. If you look at the way the floor is, and, yeah, it uh, just kind of goes away. It's uh, you know, it's it's sort of cool. I always thought you know, black F1 cars were kind of neat, um, like when we had the Honda Earth car uh, uh-huh. years ago, and it's sort of which like, looked way better in person right, than it did on TV. It never TV, quite translated, yeah. but just you know, something about you know the the dark car where you can sort of see the lines of it and the reflections and stuff a little bit differently rather than all the craziness on it. And this Williams is this sort of black and white, kind of a, I don't know, a little bit of a strange uh, color scheme, I guess. But then you get to that nose, and it just all kind of goes yeah, wrong. Yeah, ruins again. everything. I think, but again, I, I I call the Sauber the ugliest car last year, and I think they definitely take the cake again this year. If you look at a Sauber picture, it's pretty awful. And the other thing, the other thing about the Williams is, you know, Pastor Maldonado, is he really a top guy or not? Oh. I know, I know. Look at it. Look at this thing. It'll be better once they get the Burger King sponsorship on there. It'll look better. Yeah, totally look better. It's just the way they do their color schemes and everything else. It just does not add up to, you know, proper shapes. And we're talking about the Sauber now. It's loading. Yeah. yeah. Wait for it. It's it's getting there. It's a little hard to tell with the perspective on some of these step noses if if some are really worse than others because like the Lotus doesn't look that bad from the side. See, I was. It's, it's funny. I was just gonna say that the Lotus actually looks okay. Um, that's yeah, that's bad. And then the color scheme just kind of cuts through it weird. I don't know. It's they don't have the slot car wheels anymore though. You know that. Was, that's true. They did lose those. Whatever. Well. So the oh the other thing that was interesting about Williams is they're now they're now Renault Power, right? Yes. And it does make you wonder: is is being a Cosworth team? Is that a step back? Is that a step in the wrong direction? We have four engine manufacturers. We have Mercedes, Ferrari, Renault, and Cosworth. Which engine would you want in the back of your car? Probably the Renault. I mean, you know, obviously the Red Bull is magic aerodynamically, and Vettel, you know, Vettel and Weber aren't bad. But um, I can't imagine that if the Red, if the Renault were no good, that uh, they would be able to have the success if they did. Um, obviously, you know, Mercedes um, is the engine powering the Mercedes. <laughs> as, I mean, which has never done nearly as well as the McLaren. Um, but I, uh, I would say the Merc motor is probably still the best. You think so? Yeah. Uh, That'd be my guess. So but the, I mean, the Ferrari. I mean, the Ferrari's got to be good as well, though. Yeah. I don't know. But the Cosworth is now just in the HRT in Marussia, um, so you know that I'd be amazed if that were really on the same level as as the other ones. If you were able to just swap, you know, swap the Cosworth into a Red Bull and see how it goes. Which you know, of course you can't the way the engines are integrated into the system. But right. point being, you know. How does that work? So I uh, bet somebody on a Honda forum has claimed that he could do that, though. <laughs> these these car enthusiast forums, man, watch out. Um, yeah, so it's just the uh, the Renaults now. I mean, there's a lot of Renaults. I mean, obviously you've got Red Bull, Lotus, um, Williams, and Caterham. Um, so uh-huh. there's there's three Ferraris, there's three Mercedes. I guess the uh, the four Renaults and two Cosworths mm-hmm. um, is is how it's breaking down. Um, a couple of schedule changes for 2012. Mm. U.S. Grand Prix, back on. We've talked about this before, yes. but luckily, nothing crazy has happened since you last heard from us that would leave us in doubt of there being a 2012 U.S. Grand Prix. Yes. Which is in itself kind of a news story and kind of exciting, <laughs> just the way these things have uh, have transpired in the past. Uh-huh. It, it's still happening, amazingly enough. 
Yes. Um, the Bahrain Grand Prix is a little little squirrely. Um, Last I heard, Bernie said it was going to happen. And if Bernie says it's going to happen... It's probably not going to happen. Ooh. <laughs> no, you know, it's it's hard because, you know, Bernie's announcements are not to be read as what they say. It's to be, you know, who is he trying to send what message right. to by exactly. making this announcement? Exactly. So that, it's sort of, oh, it's been on and it's fine. And there were, you know, more protests. And it was the anniversary of the protests from last year. And there's all this, you know, everything else that's just going on in the country and the political unrest and whatnot. And then the question is, okay, is, is F1 going to be the stepping stone? Bahrain needs to be say, hey, no, we're a normal place and there's nothing bad going on. And look, we're amazing and international business and everything is wonderful. Or will it be the cause that, you know, dissidents, you know, circle around and say, oh, this is where we're going to really, you know, show them what we're all about and cause problems. So as of now, Bahrain is still on the calendar. Luckily, though, this year it's not the first of the season. So this isn't if Bahrain doesn't happen, it's going to be that the third race of the season doesn't happen. Not that, oh, right. we have to move back the start of our season by two weeks because right. that was that was some nonsense. Yeah, that was frustrating. Um, Germany, so- Germany is back to Hockenheim after being at Nürburgring last year as it uh, as it swaps uh you know, as it swaps around back and forth these days, um, Turkey's out. You know, we, we talked about shame. that, which, uh, so it goes. Big shame. Um, and then, you know, otherwise it's just sort of things shifting around a little bit. But, uh, you know, that's basically how it's going to go. Yeah. So that's kind of our take on 2012 as we see it right now. Um, one of the things we've been working on is a way to more objectively look at statistics and race results and things like that um, for the season throughout the season. And our test bed for that was the 2011 season. Right. Our longtime listeners will know, uh, usually we do like when we do a mid-season update right around the middle of the season. We did that last year and the year before um, to kind of see, all right, you know, let's let's see where the teammates stack up against each other because those guys are always in the same car. And that's always kind of interesting to see who's outperforming whom and just kind of overall uh, you know, especially with this last year, it was sort of like, you know, Vettel domination was kind of the story. But just kind of what else were the other stories we may have missed in there that the numbers would tell us? And uh, those, I think, were some of our more fun shows because we actually had some numbers to kind of dig into and yes. and look at and learn from. Absolutely. So uh, that's something that uh, we've been kind of squirreling away on. And unfortunately, we can't really, like, I kind of want to give it like a grand announcement, grand opening thing. We can't really do that yet. It's not quite done. I was the I originally started working on this. I'm like, oh, I'll do this when things are slow at work over four or six hours and I'll whip this thing together. That was, that was, that was December. Yeah. So, um, but it's, it's, it's amazing how, it's amazing how more complicated things get as you need to be able to account for and be robust to all these different scenarios that keep happening in formula one. You know, if these guys just, you know, did what they were supposed to do, this would be a lot easier to look at the statistics, but it's not. Everybody so. show up and qualify at every race. <laughs> if you make it through a Q3, drive a lap in Q3. <laughs> Please. Don't go changing teams partway through the season. Yeah. And switching drivers and all this or kind of stuff. getting injured and having someone else come in for you. You know, it's, yeah. There's lots of, lots of uh, ifs, ands, or buts in, 20, in, in F1 in, uh, in 2011. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you know, I have to congratulate Robin and or sort of thank him for the, all the work that's gone into the spreadsheet because it's pretty amazing uh, the, the values we're able to get out of it by just putting in, here's the results from this race and from qualifying, and then we can get comparisons over each teammate and see who has out-qualified their teammate by how many times and by how many seconds on the, yep. you know, how many grid spots and how many seconds and those kind of things. Uh, and, there's, and there's, you know, some pretty interesting stories in there to uh, to be told. If uh, if I may, though, yes. and you, I would thought we'd quick and look at the teams real quick. There's a couple interesting numbers there. All right. Is that cool with you? I'm cool with that. We'll go in championship uh, finishing position. Which means, uh, well, why don't we start with uh, HRT Cosworth? All right, average qualifying position for the HRT Cosworth. We know it's going to be the back, but twenty-two point eight. That means so basically twenty-third on the grid. Yeah. Um, which is you know, about as bad as you can get, right? Yeah. It, um, you know, if they if they finished twenty, if they were twenty-third, twenty-fourth qualifying every time, then they'd be twenty-three and a half right. average. Right. So they were just barely averaging, not so it, quite last, but sometimes last. Yeah, yeah. And it, I, I, I have to. It's not all in the same place, but they're 
best qualifying ever, I think, was 21st or something like that. Hmm. So, uh, in fact, I think I can look that up pretty quickly. But they completed uh, 81% of the laps, uh, of, of the total laps run in 2011, which I have to say is actually not that bad. Well, um, and but it's 80, 81% of the races they actually ran in. There were a couple that they didn't even... <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair, fair enough. So, it, it's, um, it, that, that goes in their favor just a little just bit. Just a little but, bit. Yeah. Um, average race finishing position was uh, 20.2. Uh, so yeah. you know twentieth on the uh, at the finish, which of course is just going to be the attrition and you know the various cars crashing out or having trouble, um, and, and those kind of things. Uh, points earned, that's zero, as uh, as as we knew. You know, it's still ha- we have yet for either the uh, Caterhams, you know, when they were Lotus uh, Green Lotus, uh, Virgin, now Marussia or HRT. None of those teams has has yet scored a point, but uh, it could happen this year. Could happen. It probably will for Caterham, but who knows. Um, average, average pole time delta. So how far they were off of pole position, uh, up, you know, average for the whole uh, for the whole season, just over seven seconds yeah. off of pole. Isn't that amazing? Uh, you know, over the course of the season, that is, that that's a that's a jump. Yeah. <laughs> uh, from you know from the tenth, the hundredth, you know, the the second here and there, but uh, yeah, seven seconds off on average is uh, not brilliant. So. Um... Moving up to Williams, yep. which is kind of the big step change. Still not great. The average qualifying position for Williams was 14.6 place. Ugh. So, you know, you're basically looking at 15th on the grid on average for Williams. And their um, average race position was actually worse, 15.7. Wow. Yeah. So on average, losing ground in every race. <laughs> and, you know, this is this is Williams we're talking about. But on average, they were almost 3.7 seconds behind pole position. Yeah, every race, which is half of what we just saw with HRT, but still, you know, that's that's to get you into fifteenth spot or so. Correct. Yeah, only five points earned at the end of the season. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's not very many. Yeah, exactly. Um, on to STR, where things uh, start getting uh, much rosier. So we go from five points earned to forty-one points earned, from ninth to eighth, and uh, the biggest change you'll see there: the qualifying is fourteen point four. That's not a, much better, but the average racing position thirteen point eight. Uh, compared to 15.7. Yeah. And just like that, you start getting some top 10s in there like that. So, uh, you know, clearly with 41 points. Uh, yeah, with the point difference, uh, you'll see that. So that, um, yeah, still, uh, you know, still no pole positions, you know, for any of these teams yet. Uh, as, yeah. as we've seen from yeah. uh, 2011 being a bit of a, a special case in that, case, in, that, you know, in that method. Yeah, it's actually interesting. You have to move all the way up to Mercedes before the average qualifying position is better than 10th place. So it's it's only Mercedes and up where they, on average, basically get into Q3. Yeah. Right? So uh, so you basically have Mercedes getting into Q3 most of the time. With an 8.9 average qualifying right. position, yeah. And then you have, you know, your Renaults, Force Indias, and Sauber kind of being in there some of the time. Mm-hmm. And then you can see pretty clearly um, all the way down – you know, with the Lotus, the Virgin, now Maharasha, and HRT, that on average they don't even get into Q2, right? right? Like it's better, you Q3 or Q1 average time. So, um, and uh, the the most startling thing that you kind of hinted at, Jim, is to get anything, anything in terms of fastest laps, to have a fastest lap, a race win, or a pole position. For the fastest lap in the race win, there's only three teams that did it. For pole position, only two teams in the entire season got pole. And <laughs> yeah. McLaren got one of them, and Red Bull got the other 18. But it's uh, just, I mean, we knew that was the case, but just looking at just seeing it spelled out, like, yeah, 18 poles for Red uh-huh. Bull, one for Mercedes, and zero for Ferrari, Mercedes, Renault, for the whole rest of the grid uh, just never got pole position. And uh, and then yeah, and, and fastest laps as well. And you know, you, usually we'll see uh, one of the lower level teams at some point. You know, it was a wet but drying race, and they put on some dry tires, or the fuel strategy was screwball. So they ended up, you know, we'll get some fast laps sort of sprinkled in there. But this year, no, no, nope, last not at year, all. Uh, you know, it was ten fastest laps for Red Bull, six for McLaren, three for Ferrari, and none for anyone else. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, for race wins, it was one for Ferrari, it was six for a McLaren, three each. From their teammates and uh, 12 for uh, Red Bull Renault. And the other thing that I found interesting talking about the fast laps is that in general, and you didn't have obviously didn't have much to look at, but um, 
Felipe Massa actually outperformed um, uh, Fernando Alonso in fast laps. Yeah. And uh, Mark Webber and uh, and uh, Sebastian Vettel were neck and neck when it came to fast laps. Hmm. So it actually isn't necessarily an indication of good driving or having a really good season to have a fastest lap. Yeah. It's it, it, because what we saw, and this might just be because of Vettel's dominance, but what I found really interesting is the fast laps almost as much as anything came from people that were behind that were still pushing really, really hard at the end, trying to scrape for something. And as opposed to a Vettel or even a Jensen Button or somebody who had just much more control of the race right. and control of their pace. Right. And as something you've talked about even in, with our own racing, uh, you know, in endurance racing and so on, is, you know, the idea is to win the race as slowly as possible right. in first place. Yeah. Right. If I can come home just in front of someone else, not having to stress my car and my tires and, you know, have a mistake that can, you know, m- you know ruin the whole thing, then Vettel, that's brilliant. Canada. Vettel, Canada. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, although the counterexample would be Vettel at the rest of the season, but you know, <laughs> well, yeah, okay, fair enough. Uh, but you know, if I can, if I can back off, you know, mind my tires, mind my fuel. If you and, can shift at fifty eight hundred RPM instead of six thousand, or you know, fifteen eight that versus, three, yeah, what, yeah. yeah, you know what I mean. Uh, yeah, so that's you know, so and, and of course with no point awarded for fastest lap uh, in the in the championship, there's no incentive to do that. So it's really just yeah, whoever's in second place trying to close the gap to, to first or third to second or whatever. Uh, or sometimes lower down in the field, just the way that, you know, if you happen to be on uh, a fresh set of super soft rubber um, when you're already down low, late in the race for with low fuel, that uh, sometimes that combination can just come together for you. Um, but, uh, yeah, if you're out front, uh, you know, then there's why why go so fast. Which I've seen the point raised, though, in the, in the past, though, of um, should there be a point awarded or some points awarded for fastest lap to encourage the, you know, middle, mid-pack, middle of the race, end of the race to be more exciting, to change the strategy Ever so much, so that even, you know, uh, a Sauber or a Williams, if their their race position sucks, but they say, you know what, this is a really good car, but maybe it's had a bad start, maybe it had a bad qualifying, and I had to start li- later. But if I can tweak my tire strategy around to be able to go really, really fast at the end of the race, yeah. get that fastest lap, get those three, it could change pit stop strategy too. To have you know, a fresh, fresh. Uh set of tires put on right the last couple laps that type of thing could change a lot of things you know and and would that be a net gain for the fans the show the sport and so on you know and it'd be a tricky balance of how much you know how many points to award right because you don't want second place but fastest lap to be more points than a win because the win is should be still be a win you know in my my opinion um but it's sort of uh or would it just be you know in practice maybe if incentivized to do so, Sebastian Vettel would have just put out a fastest lap in every race, and it just would have extended his dominance, and he would clinch the championship earlier. Right. It's uh, sort of an interesting question uh, that you know. And then, but then you get to well, is that affecting the purity of the sport? Right. Would are you just fabricating something that isn't necessarily real, or are you saying, well, I don't know? It is. I mean, that's more legitimate driving talent than. You know, oh, there's sprinklers on the track now, and oh, look, it's wet. <laughs> you know, I mean, that, that is more. I forgot about that oh, suggestion. Oh, there yes. should be a shortcut on the race, or right. sometimes you can just get around somebody. It's, you know, yeah, it should be like, wacky races or something. Or, yeah, know? like you know, if you complete halfway without this, you get fireballs or something. Right. Oh, that'd be cool. That would be kind of. Cool. You know, so that is one of the more pure racing, you know, ways you could tweak it. I think, other than. You know, you have to use both sets of tires even, or here's how many seconds of curves you get per lap, or those right. kind of things. That's you know? true, so true, true, very true. Within the situation we've got now, that is a little bit more to do with how fast can you just muscle this car around this racetrack. So I, I want to I switch to the drivers. I think the most, in, in many ways, the most interesting numbers come from the teammate comparisons, which we'll get to in a second. But there's a couple of numbers um, in, the, in the drivers, in the drivers uh, stats that I want to point out. Um, one driver... One driver alone managed to complete 100% of the laps. Really? Yes. It's not Vettel. Pedro cause... De La Rosa. Really? <laughs> hey. He was in one race, and he made and he completed every lap. He finished 12th. That was Canada, right? Because <laughs> it was after Sergio Perez. Yes. Yeah, so Perez in... was out from Monaco, from his injury in Monaco. Right. Aside from him, the best anyone did. That's true. There it is, 100%. Um, is uh, anyone that, because uh, Bruno Senna actually completed 98%, but anyone in the full season mm-hmm. um, is actually Jensen Button. Huh. Yeah, Jensen Button and uh, Fernando Alonso are tied for that distinction. Um, well, tied with the um, level of... Um, Specific, specificity that we're looking at right now, Ooh. both at 90%, 97% laps. But 
that's not the interesting number so much. Well, that's actually Alonzo 96.9% to Jensen Button's 96.6%. Well, okay, there you, so there you go. There you had. Uh, have... Add a little more fidelity, and it all comes clear. Average qualifying, average qualifying position for Sebastian Vettel. Over the course of the whole season. The entire season. You know, we know he's got some poles. We know he's doing well. But the average qualifying position? 1.3. <laughs> that's ridiculous. That rounds to one. That is, that's basically, yeah. Well, and most, most importantly, compared to his teammate, 3.8. Yeah. Which is uh, actually not even the second best. You know, uh, Lewis Hamilton's average qualifying position was 3.4. So uh, it's a huge, huge difference. And quali- just really clearly shows... His um, dominance in qualifying. And this is my favorite number for Vettel. His average pole time delta. So this is the average time longer his qualifying lap took compared to the pole lap. Of any given race. Of any given race. So, for example, Lewis Hamilton averaged half a second off pole on every race. You know, yes. 0.5 exactly. Yes. And, and then, Jensen Button, 1.5. Wow. And Fernando Alonso, actually, 8 tenths of a second, you know, average behind pole. But Sebastian Vettel... <laughs> 0.031 seconds. Yeah, insane. That's ridiculous. Yes. And I'm actually, I'm going to want to double check the math on that Jensen Button number. That seems big. Yeah. But it, 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 there are a couple of times when Jensen, things for Jensen went wrong. Yeah, there was I some Q, Q1 problems yeah, and yeah. some various things. And that's, and that's all it takes. I mean, you know, yeah. even, um, so for example, average race finishing position, um, if, you know, Vettel had in at Abu Dhabi where he had to retire, you know, at turn one, lap one, when you had the tire go down and, and so on, it was it was enough to, to mess with the race. Um, you know, that was basically the only black mark on Sebastian Vettel's season the last year, really, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so his average race finishing position was still, even with that, that one twenty fourth place finish, still averaged to 2.7. <laughs> so... You know, that that's how, how consistently he was up near the front, that even having a 24 in there brings the average up to 1.7. Without that, though, I ran the numbers that way, he would have averaged to be actually the same as his qualifying position. 1.3 uh, would be his, his race finishing position because it was mostly first and then like one-fourth and a couple, you know, what, the third and whatever. But, um, yeah, it was uh, it just kind of kind of ridiculous. The numbers back up what we kind of, you know, had thought about from uh, – from Vettel's season, but then seeing where the other little, you know, other little bits and bobs along the way are, are kind of interesting. Uh, for example, uh, Felipe Massa was averaged by about a tenth of a second closer to fastest lap than Fernando Alonso. Mm-hmm. And again, um, you know, fastest lap doesn't doesn't matter nearly as much as, as you know, finishing positions and so on. So, for example, uh, Massa averaged to be an 8.7th place to Alonso's 4.4. That's like double the the you know positions back yeah. uh, you know with Fernando basically at four and and Massa essentially at ninth place average over the course of the season uh, you know you can see why the points really dropped off from Vettel then the four guys for a second and then Massa and then yeah. everyone else it was exactly. just sort of had the good car but just didn't have the good results in there and there's I mean there's all, we could go through this for days looking at all the, the numbers and kind of seeing who who did what that's funny though with the Pedro de la Rosa completing 100 percent of laps Isn't available to him. There he was. So we'll see if he can keep that up next year in the HRT. And uh, uh, probably not. So uh, if we look at teammates a little bit. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, so we didn't, I decided the way I did the teammates um, to not look at averages, but to look at absolutes. Okay. So additive. So if I'm a second behind you as my teammate for 20 races, I'm overall 20 seconds behind you. Right. Exactly. Right? Okay. So if you look at, um, it, it becomes very interesting. Uh, so, Jensen Button and Lewis Hamilton were actually very close, but I just looked it up. There was, uh, at, in uh, Spa, I think it was, Jensen Button had really bad qualifying. He was 16 seconds off a pole. And I believe that was a wet and drying qualifying session. Hmm. And by the time Q3 ended, it got pretty dry, and people got on slicks, and it got much, much faster. But if you were out in Q2, your time was quite a bit slower. Or one of those where the, the McLaren timing got a little screwed up, and by the time they you know, were ready to get the right. car out, it was too late or something like that. Okay. So that, that one huge discrepancy was a big, uh, big cause of his thing. But the, but the number that I think is most striking uh, and an easy, quick thing to look at is um, delta difference in points earned and a difference in uh, qualifying wins and race wins. So um, as opposed to who won the race, absolute, who won the race between teammates. Okay. Vettel won, the, won 13 times more than Mark Webber. 
in qualifying and won 13 times more than Weber in racing conditions. So 13 times out of 19, Weber did better. I mean, Vettel did better than Weber, hmm. which netted a 134-point difference in, uh, in uh, points. Yeah. Even more striking, if you think about the number of points we were talking about, um, Fernando Alonso qualified better than Felipe Massa 11 times, outraced him 13 times for 139-point difference in points. And we're not talking about all those race wins anymore. We're talking about, you know, thirds and seconds and yeah. things like that, adding up to a bigger difference between Vettel and Weber. The biggest difference, in yes. fact, in points earned. Exactly. Yeah. So um, some really interesting things uh, in this data as well. Uh, you know, uh, Michael Schumacher and uh, Nico Rosberg, for example, you know, Michael Schumacher summed up to take an extra 6.8 seconds to finish all his qualifying than uh, Nico Rosberg. This is seven-time world champion yeah. Michael Schumacher we're talking about. And the, you know, the second-generation car that should be designed around his style yeah. and so on and so on. In fact, Nico out-qualified Michael 13 times in all. Um, so, you know, very, uh, very interesting um, uh, thing. However, uh, Nico only outraced Michael five times. Hmm. And, uh, you know, that can partially be um, uh, uh, attributed to uh, Michael's brilliant race starts that he had several times in 2011. Yeah. And um, there was only a um, 13 point, is that right? 13 point difference in points. I'd have to look that up. I thought it was even closer than that. But um, anyway, uh, some really interesting comparisons here. Yeah, and as we go uh, race by race in 2012, we'll be able to bring you a lot of this kind of as, yeah. as these things progress. Right, and not absolutely. Just, uh, and it'll be a little bit more clear. Than a, little, little more, <laughs> a little more digestible, uh, yeah. perhaps, in, uh, as, as we do it. But, uh, yeah, so it's definitely part of what we're trying to bring to you is not just um, you know our analysis on the, the same kind of articles that you guys can see and the same technical uh, details and stuff, but generating some of our own numbers, um, generating potentially some uh, some charts and graphics and things for our site that uh, can be interesting for you and something you can share around with your friends and, uh, you know, dig through these numbers. So if there's any other, you know, stats nerds out there like us that uh, like to kind of see how this would actually break down over the course of the season, uh, you know, Robin's done this great work to, to get us to this uh, sort of platform. And then um, I kind of can't wait to fill it out with data for 2012 and start seeing. I know, I know. It's going to be really interesting. Start seeing what we can see. And I, I, I'm going to want to play with it some more. And I actually do want to add um, a little bit of subjectivity into it a little bit. I, I'm, I have this idea of, uh, coming up with like an awesomest score, like something that we could uh, we could add into ourselves is like uh, you know you have all these objective numbers and but then you and I can both say oh but you know Lewis Hamilton got an awesomest score of five for that pass he had on whomever yeah you know what I mean and kind of bake that into one overarching like teammate who's better calculation if like we could somehow look at the difference in qualifying, the difference in racing, and those numbers, and then add in something like, yeah, but this guy's cool number. And, like, you <laughs> know, like have... The, the Kimmy bonus. Right, exactly. Will. Have a winner each time. I, I don't know. Something to play with. It's like the last thing this Excel spreadsheet needs right now is more math. So yeah, we'll see. More numbers involved <laughs> and, and details. Yeah, that's that's true. But anyway, just like Jim said, our goal is to get this thing polished and up on the website and part of something for you guys to digest and look at. And um, the thing that's holding this up at the moment is um, putting it in a format that we're happy with in terms of uh, easy to read and just uh, user friendliness, I guess you could say. Because this is one hoss of a spreadsheet, let yeah. me tell you. And, uh, <laughs> you know, Google Documents just kind of chokes on it. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out, though. And uh, that'll all be, all be part of what uh, you'll want to keep up with us on. Um, and, you know, basically that'll all still revolve around F1show.com yeah. um, is the hub for everything. And then from there, you know, if you use Facebook, you can find us there. If you follow us on Twitter, you can uh, get updates there. And, uh, you know, we've got all kinds of fun plans uh, throughout the season. Oh, yeah. Uh, especially with the U.S. Grand Prix returning and then even the uh, American Grand Prix returning next year and all these kind of fun things, you know, New Jersey and everything coming up. Um, it should be should be some good times and uh, plenty to, you know, keep your keep you guys excited about. And, uh, of course, the show itself moving forward, as always. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, please do that. And also, uh, I'm not going to do the full pitch this time, but Warner Motorsports still exists, warnermotorsports.com. If you feel like, God, I feel kind of like 
cold in my upper body right now, we have a solution for you. We have t-shirts. They say F1 show on them. So not only can we warm you, warm that torso up, you'll look good in the process. And it's the official, the only place in the world to get the official F1 show merchandise. Yes. Uh, so, you know, there you go. So uh, also, uh, of course, a huge shout out to everyone that's been staying active on the Facebook page and everything else. Uh, listener feedback is, continues to live and thrive. We are currently at 1,100 people that like us on Facebook, which is a pretty kind of amazing number to think about. Um, I think I think that might even beat my uh, popularity in high school. I think I had 10, 1,099 friends in high school as <laughs> I was so popular. Did uh, you say 1,100? <laughs> I did. <laughs> Oh boy! Anyway, so oh man, so you posted the uh, the, the ton of prototype I, on Facebook. I and did. So now you've wet everyone's appetite for I the show. I hope so. I hope so. All right. Well, you've given us plenty to do this afternoon. I've got to edit the show together and put it together and uh, get it online. So let's let's do that. Um, we'll we'll be back uh, following the Australian Grand Prix. Absolutely. In just what is that? A month away? No, now? less than... less than three three weeks, basically. Let's see. It's less than a month. It's the 19th or something. Holy crap. We are getting close, yeah. finally. So our schedules have been kind of nuts, just getting uh, everything, you know, coordinated on, uh, uh, you know, podcast stuff and everything else we've been working on. But if we go to F1show.com right now, or Formula1.com, <laughs> our, our site doesn't have a countdown on it, but Formula1.com, loading, this, loading. Stupid, this flash, yeah, hold on. What do we got? 19 days, 4 hours, 1 minute, and 5 seconds. That is less than 3 weeks, and that's practice, one. so it's... So it's 3 weeks from tomorrow. All right. 3 weeks. Cool. Well, uh, until then, uh, please keep uh, keep active on F1show.com and Facebook and Twitter and all the rest of it, and uh, have a great rest of the offseason, and we will see you after the first race of 2012. I am yeah. Jim Lau. And I'm Robin Warner. Bye-bye.